0: Welcome to Arvid's Almanac, a podcast hosted by queer settlers navigating decolonial healing through herbal medicine and myth,
1: queerness and magic,
2: astrology and ancestral connection. My name is Rue McDonald. I'm a non-binary witch, place and story-based learning facilitator uh, through the Queer Directions Learning Center here on the Lekwungen Territories, so-called Victoria, BC.
0: I'm Micah McDonald, they, he clinical herbalist, ecologist, and writer living in Abenaki Territory in Vermont. I'm Kenzie. I use pronouns ZK, they, she, an intuitive herbalist, sex posi, pleasure activist, gender fluid mermaid, mother of a Scorpio siren, and steward of wild faith wellness and the sex herbalist. Welcome back to this episode with Lucy O'Hagan. Um, and this is part two of our conversation. And uh without further ado, let's get into it.
1: So like we are mirrored in the land in like our joys and our playfulness and our queerness and our, you know, just our wholeness, as much as you know, like the the parts that are kind of denuded and are suffering and are bare at the moment and yeah when we are engaged in this process of giving back to the land that we are restoring ourselves and our cultures at the same time
2: we're healed through that reciprocity Mm -hmm. and i loved um in your article about nettles that the nettles were kind of like part of how the earth was reaching to to you to heal Mm. your body i love that and I, i and i I think the plants are are totally always doing that, and, um, and for for me recently, uh, have and over and over again, you know, certain plants reach. You know, Hawthorn has been reaching for me recently. Heart care and heart love and boundaries for you the plants and the animal and the unseen world who has been reaching for you recently
1: I love these questions um, yeah who has been reaching for me recently yeah I'm feeling a real strong connection with um with fungi at the moment you know and um they're still out there and I'm still moving through the woods with them, and um, we kind of have the, yeah, gathering in the last of the winter chanterelles, and, um, yeah, I'm just so in awe of them and their, um, yeah, like their refusal to conform to one category, you know, like not quite plant, not quite animal Um and their unseen work you know like the work that just like continues and exchanges and um you know sends up these these fruiting bodies like just at this but yeah they're just um so representative of mystery to me and um of humbleness you know of humbleness as a human that's like we're still just figuring figuring out you know and that's still like we're going to get some fruit from it you know but it's still just this vast unknown um and so connective you know like I've been like foraging mushrooms with Shanford um a couple of days ago and um my mom like two weeks ago it was like first time she'd ever come out foraging mushrooms with me and you know you can't like I mean I'm you do look sexy picking mushrooms but really like you're on the grind you know like you're right <laughs> the dirt, and you're like you know you just you end up going into these other worlds because you're just following them and that could follow you like you could just trip into this other world with them so easily um so yeah they're really they're really calling out the
2: moment thank you well, I just finished my mushroom hot chocolate. So Ooh. I've been really loving the mushrooms too. I um, I had a, a concussion about a year ago and mushrooms have been like my main ally for healing my brain.
1: Um, they are so amazing. Blancolm McGann's <laughs> new book, The um, Tree Dogs and Banshee Fingers it's mm-hmm. like a beautiful illustrated book and um i hadn't heard that many irish words for mushroom but he has maybe two or three in there and one of them i'm forgetting the irish it's like Iha, Ion, Shona, so it's like the growth of one night you know so like this observation of like yeah they just are like there and they're gone and um another one was uh the the giant puffball was known as the uh, ka- cash na- na fuka, the, the, the the puka's cheese <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh,
0: yes. <laughs> oh that's fantastic um
2: sure. my
0: cousin um another mcdonald he spends a good time in um good amount of time in uh, iceland and mm. he was saying that the icelandic people often call it a shadow food mm. um and that yeah obviously it has certain like spiritual connotations I would assume. Um, but this summer I had, I, the last two summers I've really put out an effort to learn mushrooms. And this year the conditions were just amazingly perfect for mushrooms. And I learned so many new species and ate so many new things and including a lot of lion's mane, um, which grows up, up the hill here. So I just felt really privileged to know, those mushroom people a little bit better and um also be a little scared of them because sometimes you never know like they're not always warm and fuzzy like they can they can be dangerous and uh, yeah so learning respect basically
1: that's one of the things as well at the moment there's a huge resurgence in mushroom foraging in ireland and um, um I have a, my good friend courtney Tyler um in hips and Haws Wildcraft, and she's teaching about mushroom foraging in a way that's like very accessible and fun and sexy and she does a lot of like work with um you know amnida muscaria of like um processing it for people to eat it, but just really like i mean it's such a I don't know. It's well, it's a very sexy mushroom, like it's not Mascara. People kind of get like ooh, when they when they hear about <laughs> it. Um, but it's just so many people wanting to learn about it, which um I think is really interesting because it's very difficult to find anything about like our, you know, um yeah, ancestral mushroom foraging. Like it feels like it was really missing from the culture for a long time. Um, so that's why i was surprised to see you know these different names for certain mushrooms um yeah yeah it's, it's exciting because it's actually brilliant for mushrooms here you know it's the kind of perfect climate and yeah, yeah they're beautiful of course
0: that makes so much sense
1: i was just
2: gonna resonate with like or agree with um the experience of the mushrooms teaching respect They really do. And they they need they require that you like I call it my mushroom eye and I you know, I can't see them, you know, they have a funny relationship with the unseen, um, I think, and uh, they you have to kind of like train your eye and it doesn't come right away. It takes time of, of watching and and asking you know I'll sometimes start singing while I'm while I'm walking and and ask you know what song do you want to hear and like oftentimes when I start to sing is when I start to find mushrooms (laughs) and um, always you know being really curious about how much is there is it okay that I take and you know, looking at if, is there a lot here? Is this like an over harvested area? Mm -hmm. Um, So mushrooms, I think also um, have taught me a lot about respect or around harvesting respect around relationship. I I sometimes feel like mushrooms won't show themselves unless they want to (laughs) in some situations
0: yeah i i um you know foraging this summer for mushrooms it's very clear to me that some of them really want to be eaten because they will hang out on the walking path like there's hundreds of acres around but they hang out on the walking path right um but then i i have kind of taken inspiration from the kind of um guidelines of Honorable Harvest from Robin Wall Kimmerer, you know, like taking only half, leaving an offering. Um, so I've been doing that. And and one time I did not leave an offering for some um, L moistures that I took, which is uh, they were on the side of the road. And I, I had my kind of first like reaction to those, like very mild, but I had like a... Gut reaction, and I was really it made me really scared because I was like i i positive ID did these, but I'm not sure if I did, and then, you know it kind of led to this anxiety thing, but later on i i I went back and I was like yo i'm sorry here's here's an offering like I apologize i'm going to ask I'm going to give you something next time and ask permission and anyway that that taught me, yeah that the process of relationship is really important if if you want to stay safe actually <laughs> Um, But I I wanted to kind of ask a kind of different question, if that works. Um, (laughs) So we talked a bit about, you know, reconnecting with the land and and or ancestral traditions. But what are some like things to watch out for that that might be harmful in that process, especially if we're new to it or, you know, um, just beginning to rekindle relationships or as diaspora, um, coming back into relationship, either with the land or with ancestral traditions, there are a lot of pitfalls, or there are some pitfalls, and especially when it comes to the politics of all that. So I wanted to maybe ask your, ask your opinion about what some of those are.
1: Yeah, I'm really thinking a lot about the work of um, Laura O'Brien, you know, from the um, Irish Pagan School. And she, um, I mean, speaks so well and so um, directly in a really refreshing way to like, and she speaks about this in in Arabic's journal of you know really um, if we are believing you know if we're believing that we're invoking our ancestors or you know invoking the she or certain um, deities that how we're doing that is really important you know because that can be very spiritually harmful and uh, dangerous for people and that is not like my um like. Yeah, I, I wouldn't speak much more to that, only that, um, yeah, I think that's really important to be mindful of, that um, we're, you know, welcoming in our good and well ancestors and that we're, you know, closing those spaces well too and just being very, um, I suppose the word would be like spiritually responsible um, in, in how we're engaging with, um, with magic or um, with gods. Um, And yeah, I suppose I would just direct people towards uh, Laura's work to to know more about that. Um, And yeah, like the thing that comes up for me a lot, which which happens here, you know, and and happens all over is like this um, is cultural appropriation, appropriation, you know, that that and it's funny because it thought, you know, it does happen here a lot, um, which feels surprising when there's such a richness to draw on of our own culture. Um, but like I understand that that is, you know, through colonization, people don't have that like connection to or pride in or belief in the rituals and traditions which are already um, preserved through writing or through bodies here um that people would go to another culture and feel that they it's more I don't know like that they well I suppose one that they are able to bring that teaching back or that it somehow would resonate for them differently than um taking the time to unearth the rituals that are here um and that's something that I've always been very conscious of in in my work um And something that that I'm really, I suppose, trying to be conscious of is like the places where I might be doing that without even recognizing it. And I really welcome people like, you know, if they, you know, if somebody experiences me doing that to kind of request for it to be gentle and lovingly held accountable or, you know, informed if people experience me doing that because it's not my intention. But I know that the impact and the harm of that is very real Um, so I want to avoid that and I want to really, um, yeah, I mean, I want things to feel, um, real and resonate deeply, um, within myself and within the people that I'm working with. So yeah, those are the two things that really spring to mind.
2: Thanks, Lucy. I just, how you speaking had me reflecting on, um, just the the common experience of those of us in the diaspora where our first encounter with meaningful and like soulful spiritual act, spirituality is often through the cultures of people of color mm-hmm. who have, have more of that continuity. And so there's like the sparking of that hunger, right, that we were talking about. Um, and I'm just, I'm so curious about um, the ways that you hold initiation who are your mentors and how is that in, in, informed by your ancestral practices
1: yeah so specifically with the rites of passage work um a lot of my teaching and and what i've learned has come from north america so specifically the school of lost borders and um, youth passageways uh, darcy oddy and rites of passage journeys um and yeah, I have a lot of trust in these organizations and the way in which they respond to these really difficult topics and um the ways in which they are trying to adapt their organizations to acknowledge like where they are and the teachings that they are passing on. And yeah, I think about it a lot when choosing who to learn from. Um, particularly when it's coming from um a place where yeah um yeah people who are settlers on on another land. Um so that's kind of where the frameworks for what I do are coming from. Um trying to think if there are any others um I mean, I suppose like my my teachers in kind of naturalist studies and tracking and ancestral skills would be um, most notably Lynx Vilden and um, John Ryder, who's based in Sussex. Um, And I spent a long time at his school um, studying bushcraft before I knew anything about ancestral skills or like the relevance of this work to... Cultural revitalization, <laughs> just really loving being in the woods, but um it was definitely not a place where I felt like I belonged in like bushcraft or survival communities. Um, but like in particular tracking. Um he's been an incredible teacher in that and trailing as well. So I feel like I've kind of gathered these tools from other um from other places and from other people. And then it's kind of like right, okay, well here's the um, I'm trying to think of an analogy for this but I can't quite find it but like coming back to Ireland you know it's like okay like being able to like intimately engage with the more than human community through tracking and trailing has taught me so much you know and I'm constantly um, yeah just like seeing and receiving these new teachings from those practices that are a lot about like the inner work and Um, I actually, I have to like say that I love the work of queer nature, you know, and the way in which Panar and So speak about wildlife tracking has been so influential for me and I really, really resonate deeply with that. And I should also like say that I've been really inspired by the work of Rewild Portland as well in the way in which they bring rewilding into um, yeah like the core of what it should be which is about community resilience and not about skills you know like it's about restoration of lifeways in communities and um, yeah so um, yeah back to I suppose then just like interacting with the land and dreaming with the land and eating those foods and making connections with you know people who still um are you know um continuing a lineage of their family like there's a a woman up here called margaret kitty and i wrote about her in the first issue of arabic's journal and she's a, a herbalist you know she's a community herbalist and she has learned everything from her mother who learned it from her grandmother and so on and she you know is so embedded into the landscape here and she's such an intimate knowledge of it and You know, when I first met her and went out foraging with her, she was asking me, do you know, I've heard there's books written about this. Do you know of any books? And it's like, that's just like so amazing to meet somebody that has this, this knowledge and this relationship with plants and seaweeds. But like they've never opened a book about it in their whole life. It's just been like, what a, what a treasure, you know, so really trying to tend to those relationships like um yeah I feel so strongly that my place is here um in Ireland you know and um that's yeah I mean I'm going to Norway for Christmas and I, I'm really excited to go but I am really sad to leave the Atlantic in the winter you know and to leave like the seaweeds and I'm like okay you know like um what what windows of of like the the cycles am i missing here when i go away and why am i going away like what is it that i intend to bring back um so yeah like i really appreciate um asking me yeah to because because i'm here like as a result of you know so many incredible mentors and people and people who've like continued this lineage of learning and teaching and um and then there's this place of here and now of you know, how do we as a community and the amazing like people that I get to collaborate with on this island? Like, what is the story of now and why is this relevant? And and like, yeah, what is it that we want? Um so it's such a delicious patchwork. Um
0: yeah. <laughs> you know, it just makes me think about um, well, there's a, there's a term that's somewhat contentious, you know, reindigenizing um, for European people of European ancestry. And I know that that has some political, uh, piece to it. Um, but that if our goal is to like, if my goal <laughs> is to unfuck the West, you know, the West has gotten so, um, Pathological (laughs) um, and harmful in all sorts of ways. Like for me, part of the solution is to reground our spirituality in like deep nature connection um, and respect for the land, and that requires personal relationships with non-human beings, and that all indigenous peoples and spiritualities have that as like a core foundation um and i just think that's totally critical and it also speaks to like for me it speaks to why um developing relationships in the place we're at is important and building our spirituality from the ground up that way is is i think so important and i was just having a conversation in one of my classes with a a fellow classmate who had been doing like trainings in shamanism and stuff taught by indigenous people but from f- some from somewhere totally not where she lives and um like she didn't really she didn't have a lot of knowledge of the political implications of that and and like the cultural appropriation involved in learning these skills that are not of her lineage, even though these people were offering those, you know, um, programs of training and, and, you know, one layer that I didn't, um, I didn't talk about was that how deep can our spiritual discipline really be if we're not in direct relationship with the environment around us and, and how, yeah we can be inspired by indigenous spiritualities from elsewhere but they have their particular relationships with particular facets of the land particular plants that i don't have access to here Mm -hmm. um and so how much depth can i really have if i am engaging with a spirituality from like a different continent um let alone the cultural appropriation involved in that
1: yeah I think it's just so important that we feel it deep in our bones if we're connecting in that way that it's um it feels authentic you know that we're not fooling ourselves because we really deserve a lot better you know we really (laughs) deserve to have deep meaningful connections with you know with the land and with the people and with ourselves and um I think that that's so massively supported it is so massively supported by the land you know like we're you know really believing that the land is sentient and you know everything has spirit then you know I really truly believe that like they are all wishing us and my good well ancestors wished us into this being here and now and yeah like we're gonna feel the support of that if we if we reach out for it.
2: It brings me back to what you said, Lucy, about how the land is calling, mm. and it's calling through the language too, because the language has emerged from the land. And so, yeah, how are we living where we are and engaging in the solidarities in the community weaving where we are is is so key. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it brings up the the question of, you know, settlers, um, of, of the diaspora connecting with, with Gaelic language um, that has emerged from a different land. What does it teach us? I think it's still useful. I think it's still really, really uh, a key part of belonging to learn the words and to feel the resonance in our bodies and in our in our um, the way that our tongues and our our mouth move mm-hmm. with the language of our ancestors, and they do teach about a more animus way of seeing the world mm-hmm. and where you know a, um, a tree isn't just a tree it's it has a name that's connected to a lineage of, of woven meaning. And to understand that I think is still really valuable. I, I remember talking about this with a mentor of mine, who's uh, Robert Lovelace, who's an Algonquin uh, a land defender and, and teacher and um, past chief. And he talks a lot about how indigenous languages um, here on Turtle Island uh, mirror the water systems, in some cases, or ecological zones, uh, just by way of how we could travel, uh, or, how, or how they could travel, I mean, sorry, and how the water systems um, connected people to create language groups. And, and so that really inspired me to want to learn my ancestral languages and start to sing in my ancestral languages and but yeah bob really questioned me he's like how useful is it for you to put all this energy into learning gaelic when uh, or or gaelic you know from mm-hmm. and either of my lineages like what what is the, the why are you putting so much energy into this basically when when you're not living there um And I'm still sitting with that question. And I think it's, I'm a both person, you know, I'm queer. I'm like, I don't want one or the other. I want both. (laughs) I'm going to hold both those things. It's like, yeah, it might not be super useful in like connecting and with this land that I'm on, but it surely is a window into another way to be in a body and another way to be in a relationship and so for that I think it's really useful
1: what do you think (laughs) I just love what you're saying and I love this mentor for that questioning as well you know it's like such a such a good mentor when (laughs) they bring that uncomfortableness to the surface um and I mean I just like I I'm feeling this um you know the sadness of so many indigenous languages which have been forgotten you know like and continue to be forgotten and um do you know it's funny in Ireland because like you know I'm in the province of Ulster and like the Irish spoken here is all it's really different from down the country you know so like somebody coming up from from um Munster like might not understand somebody from ulster you know so it's like well you know we still yeah it still feels so vitally important to like keep this other way of relating to the world that is not through the case of the colonizer right you know that it's like I am understanding my world through the eyes of the colonizer because that is the language that's in my mind that automatically means that I'm well doesn't automatically mean but like to a large degree I'm relating to the world with that language as well Um, yeah so I I really pray that you do continue it and that many people do choose to learn these languages and to really bring them back from the brink of extinction you know like there are far too many things going extinct at the moment which are beautiful and vibrant and contribute to health and healing um and i know like personally as somebody who's on this land i feel like uh you know when i speak about um people from irish diaspora having like this this love and this like real um you know pride such a loaded word but like that just that love and that 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 want for like uh, yeah like healthy Gaelic culture like which includes the language I think people really feel that there's a really beautiful course that happened online here um with an organization called the Trailblazery and Montcalm again and they brought in all these different um uh, it was like a nine-week course and each week they had different people who were gilgores who like um Irish was their native tongue and it was such a bringing to life of the Irish language as something which is so diverse, you know, and there are people from um you know who are from Ireland like of different um like ethnic backgrounds and you know p- like young people in the north who are like rapping in Irish and um like a uh, gorgeous poet Amarini Curran who's from this part of Donegal talking about like the trauma of her family being healed through Irish and how Irish was the place for that trauma of specifically the mother and baby homes where that trauma could be healed in her family um so it's just like it's so I don't know it's such a space that like opens up so many possibilities um and, you know, as somebody who was raised in Belfast and was raised in like very, um, you know, we we're a, a Catholic family. And it was really important that I was able to like adapt and blend into situations where it wouldn't have been safe to have my surname or speak Irish or be connected in any way to Irish culture. And um, so I didn't grow up with Irish and like I learned fucking Latin in school, you know, like, and I was like, how is that more <laughs> relevant? I think my mom at the time said, you know, it, you know, you you're better to learn that, like Latin than Irish, because Irish is like, you know, a dead language. You know, so many people say that. And it's so funny because she was learning Irish, you know, like she felt like that hunger to speak it, but like just didn't feel like it was going anywhere and it is, like, it's so alive, and it's so beautiful, and it's just, like, as you said, it's this window into a way of seeing the world differently, Um, and as it was, you know, like, um, so, yeah, let's all learn Irish, (laughs) whatever form it takes. (laughs) Yeah.
2: And uh, and Gaelic, too,
1: yeah. Yeah, both, why not? And all of those indigenous languages yeah
2: yeah it's uh it's how i feel like i can speak to the really ancient ones in my life
1: mm.
2: now they, they can see it and they can hear it and they're it makes them really happy so i feel like if it makes my ancestors happy i better uh, let's keep doing
1: it <laughs> yeah i have a friend here and um, He's a really incredible poet and he has this poem about maharorty which is this beach here like a really long like these are like the most beautiful beaches in the world in my opinion like these long long beaches that are so wild and when he says the poem Ashgilga, it's like it is the movement of that beach you know and it's like it's so evocative of you know, if you're talking about like the, the, the patterns of the waters and the rivers, it's like it just it it is that beach, you know, like it feels exactly the quality of the wind and of the waves and of the curve of the sand. it's like, yeah, yeah it's just
0: such a gorgeous
1: language. <laughs>
2: I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah,
0: that sounds lovely. But I feel the same rule, like there is something um really deeply satisfying about speaking the language even though i i'm still a beginner at the learning but um yeah it feels right i think and i actually do you know give thanks and blessings in irish when i'm in the woods like every day actually so even though i only have a few words like i still <laughs> use them pretty regularly and it feels it feels good to me but um here uh, but it's also I also have helped, felt the you know why why am I learning it when I'm here like in this land in North America why um, like is is learning Irish drawing me away from being here or or is um, just in general is like engaging with ancestral lifeways drawing me away from the place I am here and I I think what I am maybe leaning into a little bit is that there's not a rational answer to that. The answer actually comes with body feelings. And so my body seems to feel like, no, it's, it's actually deepening me somehow. Um, and yet that can't be the end because I think as I'm moving through school and learning about kind of post-colonial theory and such, um, I've been also learning about kind of this concept of hybridity and how we we really need to recognize in order to avoid becoming fascist and purist and anything we do, like recognize that we're all hybrids of especially people who come from colonization and people who are colonizers like both sides are hybrids of multiple cultures and so yeah, I don't necessarily have to choose whether or not to learn Irish or learn Abenaki here. Like, I can do both of those things, and that's as long as like I'm invited to learn Abenaki. Um, but it is, it is um, Abenaki is also being revived here, and they really need more speakers, and so um, settlers are invited, and um, so I've constantly been. Like oh, uh, which should I choose? which should I prioritize and um because they really need more more people to learn it and to to spread it, so I don't know maybe maybe the answer is both um, and how interesting that becomes when we like put both of those language languages in conversation with one another, but we do mm-hmm. seem what I think is we do seem to learn a lot about animist lifeways by um, engaging with both of these kind of indigenous languages it's, it's very, both are very different from English.
2: I liked what Lucy was saying earlier about it being really a lot about relationship. Like where, where are you being guided in relationship to the land, the unseen, the ancestors? Just trusting that that like unmediated mentorship and guidance is is like you said, and it feels good in the body. And mm. that's a really good hint.
0: Well, my last question is um, something I've talked with uh, Brianna Hart and uh, Jeanette Sheehy from Grounded Connections. Um, talk with them a little bit about this issue of what does the diaspora have to offer when it comes to, um, like engaging with the politics of both ancestral connection, but also just like decolonization in general, that there is some role that the diaspora can play and sometimes it's problematic like I think a lot of diaspora um, have a very superficial understanding of Irish politics and maybe engage in Irish-American or Irish-Canadian colonial politics in a really problematic way um, that's super conservative and even fascist. But for those of us who are aware of the politics or at least aware of, like, Irish-American and Irish-Canadian involvement in colonial processes here in North America and, um, like, really trying to grapple with that seriously... And also that consciousness that we um, that we develop, then it might lend itself towards something else in an Irish context that maybe that criticalness, like of the experience of being a colonizer here and all of the messy, <laughs> messy stuff that that involves, like might bring something to the conversation in Ireland. Um, or something totally different. But I um, was wondering if there's like a positive way that Irish diaspora can assist in like the Irish decolonial process.
1: Yeah, thank you for that question. And um, I've been asked that three times (laughs) this week. And um, I, I don't know, you know, I really don't know. And um all that it feels at the moment is like like i suppose speaking for myself um you know that this is helping that like these conversations are happening that um you know there's a kind of honest discussion and an ongoing um yeah like willingness to learn um the history of these lands and you know um I suppose I, I think it's really interesting because um, the way in which decolonization has been spoken about in those lands for the past however many years I didn't understand that in an Irish context specifically related to land relations until I began to um, like yeah basically until my friend Jimmy that I spoke about before started to do this work here and that's kind of ignited these conversations here and there are people of diaspora who are involved in those conversations as well Um, and it seems that that is really um, yeah it's um, it's really important um, and it's really regenerative of like these relationships um, like something that I've spoken about this week and you know like I'm a really a very sensitive person so like this can is also just like me speaking I don't know like what the general feeling is here of what people think diaspora should do or how they should be or but it's like a real need for like gentleness and a real need for kind of patience because um yeah I think it's really exciting in Ireland at the moment what's happening. And that's taken a really long time to get to here and now where um, you know, like particularly in the north, like I'm a kind of ceasefire baby, you know, like we were kind of these children who grew up and where um, you know, I was eight when the ceasefire was declared, and it's like we've grown up with the trauma of our parents, and um yeah, it's just kind of um. It's really inspiring to hear the voices and the passion coming from young people in the North at the moment who are speaking about, you know, wanting to connect with this island as a whole, who are kind of re, um, yeah, like healing that relationship with the land of Ireland and with, like, engaging with the land and the mythology regardless of their religion or like what community they were brought up in so there's definitely like um, yeah it feels like there is a fire here at the moment Um, and I don't know how that's going to pan out and um, it just feels so supportive to have support (laughs) from across the water and like particularly when you are already engaging with like these really difficult conversations of what it means to be a settler and what it means for like you know reparations to happen and um yeah i just think there's there's so much in the story that you're all living there that will like weave together with the story of what is happening here and i feel like that i mean it it remains to be seen um and i certainly don't know what it will look like. But um yeah, I'm really curious about what your thoughts are because I, I guess I as I said I've been asked this question three times this week of like what can diaspora do? And I'm wondering like what do you think um diaspora can do? I don't
0: know. Well, do you have any thoughts Rue?
2: Well I've been thinking about that. Maybe more focused toward like how can i resource myself and my community through connecting with ancestral skills and stories and but resourcing with the framework of like how how are we able to show up for indigenous sovereignty and solidarity um so that's kind of the framing that i've come from um rather but I think that you know the edge is the center, and the center is the edge. When we have like the diaspora from the outskirts, you know, coming back and offering what we've learned on this huge hundreds of years of and generations of journeying and weaving sinistry with a huge diversity of lands and peoples, it's inevitable that we are bringing things that we don't even know what that we're bringing. (laughs) And um, I guess specifically um, with a focus on living into revolutionary ways of being um, that are creating the worlds that we want to see. How is, how are we gathering in ways that are building true power and organizational capacity to show up for justice. I think that's a big piece of, um, what I'm really inspired about. Um, and I, one, I wonder like, uh, as well about, you know, the, the diversity of, of queerness and queer experience and how that's been able to flourish and find subterfuge on indigenous lands um, over here and how those um, burgeoning and thriving of of queer culture because you know the queers we're just showing up for everything we're like we're not well but we're here Um, (laughs) you know Um, we really do see our liberation tied with everyone's liberation. And I think that's a beautiful part of the queer culture that um, when, when grounded and ancestral resourcing and community building and, and starting to, to embody culture and bring it alive in unique ways, I think we're going to have some really, really interesting conversations, you know, with, with with like this conversation between us is really cool. And then, you know, when we come and visit you, (laughs) the conversations that we will have and and the weavings, I think will be profound um, because we're all experimenting where we are and being nourished by the lands and inspired by the lands and called to action by you know the old growth trees who gathered like all these grandfathers and grandmothers and grand and like ancient ones who gathered the young people to them to start a movement you know and to have a wake for them there are some of our last old growth trees here on so called vancouver island that are now taken down or taken down by by industry and, and you know in brought right in there and protected by the state There's that, and then there's also the movement that was gathered by the trees. Um, There's incredible uh, frontline resistance tactics and capacities and grounded relationships that are emerging here on Indigenous lands and, and new ways to be communities that are Able to resist, perhaps able to really create change um, because we're grounded in, in this common affinity. And so I'm, I'm curious about how, like, the cultures or the cultural production and um, capacities that are cultivating here in solidarity with Indigenous people and following Indigenous leadership and being you know, cared for and inspired by indigenous land and and ancient ones, like how that Mm. can inspire similar, like passion or capacity or like how that's going to weave back with, with the lands that are, that we came from. I guess I'm just really curious about it all and really excited about the possibilities.
1: Me too. (laughs)
0: yeah no I really like what you all that you said there um, especially the kind of solidarity piece um, something I've taught talked with Brian and Jeanette about is two things one actually queerness that you mentioned rue like I think that um, North American queer culture is pretty robust and and pretty has been you know out and alive for a long time and that queerness itself is such a hybrid identity that really resists purity politics um and that that can get attached to like you know this idea of identity authenticness or things that lead into fascism um and that like queerness you know is usually very resistant to fascism and so that being a piece of it because i know like when we're reclaiming identities especially you know um against some kind of colonial authority it is somewhat easy to fall into this kind of like claim to purity of a of a past way um and that can be like really Politically harmful, um, and also that some of that is influenced negatively by the diaspora. I think I've um, I've just been learning that um, some kind of right wing Irish American diaspora has actually been bringing fascist ideology to Ireland, and th- so there is like a negative influence too. So, like, we also need to counteract that so yeah, it's like both, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for answering your question with such, um, yeah, I mean, vibrancy and and imagination and integrity. Um, I think all of those are things that I'm really learning from you all and from like many conversations that are happening. And yeah, I'm also really curious and um, I think that's such a, a, a beautiful and important way to be with this um, and thank you also for um, for bringing in that, um, that important part of like the fascism that can grow around um, you know re-engaging with ancestral cultures you know like I've definitely been witness to that and um, it was something that I've you know had to look at in my work and then the language that I use and the people that are following me or supporting my work and um, and how then I can use this position to. Um, yeah, like against that <laughs> and to fight fascism and. Um, yeah, it's really um, it's so important and it just it makes me so angry <laughs> that like our myths and our beautiful stories would be manipulated in this way to propagate like a message of hate um so yeah thank you for for bringing that up it's such an important thing for us to be aware of
0: yeah thank you thank you and I hope we can just continue this dialogue because there's so much about that that needs to be worked out between us. And, you know, the diaspora alone can't deal with it. The Irish alone can't deal with it. Like we need to be in, in dialogue about this. So, um, I'm looking forward to those conversations as we just like build our relationships together.
2: Yeah. The work can't be done in isolation. Mm -hmm. Keep learning that over and over. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lucy yeah
1: thank you both so much I just really want to echo that that I'm um so grateful for this relationship and these mycelial threads that are stretching across the oceans between us and um really excited to see like where these um yeah where these conversations lead and knowing so many people here that would be so um honour to be a part of those conversations as well and mm. yeah really extending that invitation for a big uh, gathering of uh, Aravid lovers. Um, I think I was saying to Mika that I found a, a place that had uh, was a, a hostel that has a hot tub which is fed from Aravid's well in Sligo so
0: I'm a big thing
1: all of us there (laughs) (laughs) beneath beneath the hawthorns so yeah um, I look forward to the day when we're (laughs) on a sacred site here
2: planting that dream seed yes yes Yes. Uh. gratitude to Badger for showing up, and Mushrooms for showing up as teachers, and Hawthorne, and Mm -hmm. who are the other teachers that came up today? Nettle. Nettle's a big one, yeah. Gratitude to all those those beings who presence themselves in our conversation, and big gratitude for your story, Lucy. Mm -hmm. I want to hear it again and again, and uh, I'm so grateful that you shared it. It's premiere here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I want to send huge love to Kenzie as well, do you know, because still yeah. I haven't got the chance to to meet Kenzie and someday I hope I will. And so yeah, big love to you, Kenzie. Thank you uh-huh. for all that you do. We love you, Kenzie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you again. Um, and I hope I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Me too.
0: Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please like and subscribe. Also, you have the option of joining our Patreon program to support our work. And also, we give a third of the proceeds to a BIPOC and queer-led organization. So, uh, check that out on our website, which is patreon.com slash Ironman's Almanac. Thanks so much.